People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 520. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. While I was recording our social media promo for today's episode, I realized that it's a funny coincidence. This is 520, and this is the last episode of my 20s. Isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. how fitting. That's so sad. Yeah. And five <laughs> times 20 is 100, and that's how long I intend to live. Okay. <laughs> is Not this the a time throwback for quarter life crisis? <laughs> to like the five episodes where everyone in the row, you would be like, Four times one is four. <laughs> I'm back on Illuminati. my math bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I like that my birthday falls over Memorial Day because it's like the unofficial start of summer. It actually starts getting warm here in Chicago. Everywhere else I've lived by Memorial Day, it's like midsummer temperature wise. Here, summer's finally getting started. But we're actually going to Nashville for my birthday and part of the reason for that was i said pat i want to be somewhere hot for my birthday and i don't trust chicago to be warm by my birthday so we're going down there and it's gonna be hot and i can't wait yeah are you two doing anything over memorial day um well no i just wanted to say that nashville is a nice town and i think you'll have a good time Mm -hmm. um but i don't think i'm doing anything resting do you have off monday Yes. Pam, you don't. You still have to write for Hype a Ball on Monday. I was going to say, I don't know if I have <laughs> Monday. <laughs> no, I will give it off to you for my birthday. Not for okay, Memorial perfect. Day, but for my birthday. Yeah. Okay. It's Andrew Day. You know, yes. in the Slack, we, so we had an editorial meeting scheduled for this Thursday, which is my birthday. Uh-huh. And, and in the Hypable Slack, I wrote, hey, everybody, no meeting Thursday or Monday because both days are national holidays. And I was waiting for somebody to ask what national holiday is Thursday. But nobody asked. So everybody knew. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. That's it. <laughs> nobody loves me. <laughs> I remember one time when I was living in L.A., um, Andrew texted me on Martin Luther King Day and he said, do you have to work at your internship? And I said, no. And he said, OK, great. Then that means I can take time off for my <laughs> This is the problem with working from home. I don't know when I'm supposed to take off. So I rely on others to tell me when they are off. So I know. Yeah, he was like, if your uh, nationally syndicated magazine is off, then Hypable can be off. Too. Exactly. Yeah, that's how it goes. The only one I'm totally sure of is Christmas. Everything else, I have no clue. Right. You never know. It's it's hit and miss every year. What did you do uh, over the weekend, Laura? So I went axe throwing. <laughs> it was so much fun. I did not think that I would like it as much as I did. And for anyone who might be curious and wondering right now, when I say axe throwing, I literally mean throwing an axe into a target at the end of a lane. How heavy are those things? They're not that heavy. Like no. maybe maybe like a few pounds. Did you do well? Did you hit the target? <laughs> so not at first. And actually, I have a video that's going up on Patreon shortly of my first attempts at throwing the axe. And it's pretty miserable. So feel free to have a good <laughs> laugh at me. Because um, I pretty much went in my pajamas, too, so that I could be wearing like comfy clothes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, later on in the session... 
I got a lot better. And I felt like everybody that I went with got a lot better, too. There's actually some technique that goes along with this, and it isn't just hurling an axe. So by the end of it, I was able to actually, like, nail the target a few times and make the axe stick. Mm. Good job. Is this a trendy new thing to do? Because I feel like I've seen axe throwing going around online lately. Yeah, I think it's like the trendy, hip, new city thing to do. Well, I think part of it is that, well, I guess it's good for Instagram if you're talking about trendy, hip things. But also, it 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 burns stress, doesn't it? Because you get to let your rage oh, out. Oh, yeah, definitely. It is for sure a stress reliever. Um, everybody that I was with, like, we just felt so invigorated by the end of the session. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Like, it, it really is, I think, like any other you know, thing where you have to exert yourself physically, it really does help like up those endorphins and gives everybody an excuse to like bond about how bad you all are at it. And it's just a, it's a great, great bonding experience. Have you thought about buying an axe for yourself for like self-defense now that you're better at it? Um, I think much like a gun, I would be far more likely to hurt myself <laughs> than to hurt anybody else. So no. Do you feel like you could hit somebody from thirty feet away? Hell straight no. Straight in the head? No. I could oh. no, I could barely hit the target. <laughs> yeah, but you said you got better, so I thought maybe you honed your yeah, skills. Yeah, I got like three out of how many throws do you think I did over a two hour session? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining Laura with like a crate of axes trying to stop an actual murderer <laughs> and keep running closer and closer. And to make it ironic, it would be an axe murderer. Right, exactly, an <laughs> axe murderer. I'll show you how to use one, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, highly recommend it. The place that I went to is called Bad Axe Throwing. Um, and that's their website. It's badaxethrowing.com. They are all over North America, so like the US and Canada. Um, and I think the cost is like 25 bucks per person per hour. So it's pretty good. You yeah. get like a whole training session in there. So it's a lot of fun. What do you spend money on this weekend, Pam? Um, I spent money on public transportation. Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, the gas prices in California right now are super bad. Like they're always bad, but it's up to a little over $4 right now where I am. And oh my god. I know. Isn't that crazy? And I knew I needed to go into the city because I, I had planned to meet up with some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And and so I thought, well, you know, I know that the ferry, which is the way you can go into San Francisco if you're in the North Bay like I am, is kind of pricey now, but it's going to be cheaper than wasting gas and paying for the bridge toll and also paying for parking. So I thought, well, I'll just shell out the $24 round trip on the ferry, which is all already really expensive. And I found out that if you use a Clipper card, which I have from back in my university days from going to school in the city, it's actually a lot cheaper. And it's only $7 each way, which still sounds like a lot, but way cheaper than factoring in the price of gas and the toll and the parking. So that was a pleasant surprise for me. And I had a nice little trip on a boat. It was really relaxing. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I was uh, watching your Instagram story over the weekend. It, you were getting around town. It looked like a fun day. I yeah, thought you was, were I actually mean, out of town because you were being so touristy. 
Kind of, yeah. I kind of stuck around uh, downtown, but it was not very packed because the San Francisco gets really packed with tourists in June and July, so I hit it at the right time. And it's also been raining, so it was pretty dead because of that. But San Francisco's not very big. It's only a seven by seven um, parameter. So even if you walk like one side of it, you've only walked seven miles. So it's not that bad, but it was fun. But it's also super hilly, so you could get in an amazing workout if you wanted oh to. Oh my god! Around. Yeah, and it's so funny because, and this kind of leads into the discussion you have planned for us. But the tracker on the iPhone, the health tracker, it tracks hills as floors, so it also told me how many floors I was climbing, even oh, though I did cool. not go up and down. Yeah. San Francisco, in my opinion, is is one of the best cities in America. If you're looking for a cool city to go to in America, put San Francisco at the top of your list. It's just so unique. Yeah, I love it too. So we wanted to start off the show today by calling one of our listeners. So we're going to do Surprise Bitch here right at the top of the show. Surprise Bitch! Surprise Bitch! Hello? Hi, Erwin. Yeah. Surprise Bitch, male. It's Millennial. What's up? <laughs> I beg your pardon. That's a... <laughs> I'm just saying. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am well. What What are you up to? Are you still in Maryland? Oh, yes. I'm still in Silver Spring in Maryland. And, well, I just came back walking my dog. Just, he just had his evening walk. Oh. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Uh, he's a beach poo, a Bichon, a Bichon poodle mix. Ooh. Rescue? <laughs> buy him from a pet mall? Where? Where did you get him? Her, her. He was a, he was a, a, a gift. He was a puppy, a friend of my mother's. Um, her dog had um, um, puppies, and so we had a, we were able to pick one. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> did you watch the Game of Thrones finale? I uh, guess I did. Did you like I it? Sure did. I I have. <laughs> I will say yes and no. <laughs> because, Same. Because because I, I, <laughs> I had a wish list, um, which I I I was able. I got most of my wishes. Um, I just don't, I wasn't too happy how they came about, though, how they were fulfilled. Mm. Um, I wasn't a fan of Daenerys, and I, you know, I thought there's no way she could be queen. <laughs> so I wasn't too sad about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but I feel like the storytelling, though, it just didn't make sense for her to get to that point. Um, yep. Like what most people are saying. And I was a big Sansa fan. I, you know, I was so happy that that Sansa um, became queen of the North, and the North got its independence. And she was, you know, she was just awesome. I think I, one of the things I was happy about was that even when her younger brother was going to become king, she knew what her people wanted, and that was independence. They wanted to be their own kingdom, mm. and that that she she stood truth for them. You know, she. She made sure they got what they wanted. According so. to HBO, the final episode of Game of Thrones was watched by a record 19.3 million viewers, exceeding the previous series high of 18.4 million just last week. And the episode scored the most watched single telecast record on HBO ever. The previous record holder there was actually not Game of Thrones. It was The Sopranos back in 2002 as well. So it took a long time to break that record. Lauren, Pam... Um, what, how did you two feel about the finale? Um, I would say, first of all, it may have been watched by a record of 19.3 million viewers, but I'm wagering that it was that it caused disappointment for a record 
19.2 million viewers. <laughs> um, I, we talked about this in our breaking news segment last night. I was a little bit like coming off the episode feeling somewhat uncertain, but still not totally sold. I have become less sold <laughs> in the last 12 hours since we talked about this. Um, so yeah, not, not super thrilled with the way it ended. And, um, I think to the point that was brought up earlier, I think that a lot of what happened would have made sense if the storytelling had been better. Um, but because it wasn't, so much of it felt random. Yeah, I think it's really easy to feel mixed emotions, especially with regards to this one episode in particular. Uh, I do think that there was a lot of payoff. And for that reason, I understand why there were many fans that felt satisfied. But I also understand why others might not have felt so satisfied. And I'm kind of right in between. I haven't had too much time to digest what we saw and really think about it. And I do kind of wonder if it is one of those seasons that overall will feel a little bit better once you've had time to kind of sit with it. You know, sometimes shows are better than you think they are when you go back and rewatch them like Mm -hmm. 10 years. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's what Tyrion said. So, <laughs> True. back well, in ten yeah, years, it, I'm going to give it ten years, just like John. <laughs> I ca- I kind of wonder if that was like a meta suggestion from the writers. Right. Try right. this again yeah. in ten years. <laughs> Y'all wait a while. I mean, they put the actual book in there, so it's true. <laughs> and uh, Laura did mention this over on Patreon. We did a 33 minute post episode analysis special as part of our breaking news benefit at patreon.com slash millennial. So check that out. And it wasn't just us three, Pat, Mark, and Jewel were also there. It was one big party, which started with me screaming at the top of my lungs at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night, which I'm sure my downstairs neighbors <laughs> loved very much. So, Well, Patreon. it's what they get <laughs> what for they... all that pipe nonsense. It wasn't their fault. I love those neighbors. Remember? Yeah, but weren't they the ones running their shower at four in the morning? Uh, that was probably two below them. Oh, yeah. got you. Never yeah. mind. Sorry, neighbors that Andrew <laughs> loves. I think I think actually they're the ones who listen to the show. So Exactly. <laughs> Double sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. Don't pay attention to me. So, Laura, you wanted to play a game with Erwin, right? I wanted to play a game with all three of you. Uh-oh. So I want to see, given the fact that we now have 23 people running for the Democratic nomination for president, I wanted to see if we could name all 23 of them or as many as we can in 90 seconds. (laughs) 90 seconds? I want to see how many the three of you can get. I think I'd I'd be cheating because I have the list, so I'm not going to join in. But we all get to work together. You all get to work together, and <laughs> I have hints. So, like, if you're missing somebody and time's getting close, I might be like, the representative from Hawaii. And then you guys would be like, oh, Tulsi Gabbard. Right? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so I, my main goal is for you guys to get the 21 established politicians that are running. But there are bonus points if you can get the names of the two political outsiders who are running. Okay. All right, let me know when you're ready, and I will start the clock. And Erwin, jump in whenever you want. Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead, Laura. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Harris. Delaney. That's a good one. Castro. Warren. Harris. 
Booker. Oh yeah. Random Did white guy three. Random white guy four. Uh, Beto. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh my word! Um, Gillibrand. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh, that's a good, good one. one. Who else? I think we're gonna start needing hints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, You've got fifty seconds. Rhymes with Ryden. <laughs> Give us a hint. Well, 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 I guess Bill De Blasio. He just announced. Oh uh-huh. yeah. Good <laughs> job. Mm-hmm. He was random white guy three. <laughs> Um, what about the former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development? Uh, oh, Texas. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <sighs> that's it. I You're, think we're... That's it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, I'm, that I mean, is time. <laughs> you're all you're all Buttigieg, Irwin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. is Buddha judge. Um, so just to go over it to make sure I got everything, you guys got Joe Biden, Bill de Blasio, uh, Cory Booker, the stupid alarm still running. Um, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, John Delaney, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Did I miss anyone you said? I don't think so. Random white guy four. <laughs> that's that's pretty much what's left. <laughs> Although I was surprised you guys missed Tulsi Gabbard because I gave that to you <laughs> in the intro. Oh, I thought you oh. just made someone up as an example. No. <laughs> so yeah, I would encourage you guys to look up all 23 of the candidates. CNN has a really good guide. Um, I learned today that there is a spiritual author named Marianne Williamson who's announced she's running. Um, no leave we have enough people (laughs) (laughs) so yeah definitely a lot of candidates to keep track of but thank you for playing with me you guys yeah Erwin you said you're uh, high on Buttigieg why yeah well you know when early on I was gonna just wait it out when it comes to the candidates but there's so many good ones and when Pete announced and I learned a little bit about him. His story is parallels mine very closely. Um, and it was just too hard for me not to be able to support someone. Like, you know, being a being a gay male, um, a gay man and um about his, you know, I'm about the same age as he is. And also one of the things that's important in my life is as an Episcopalian, you you know, is um my faith and it was one of those things that in my life it has evolved and it was something that was I wrestled with for a very long time and so when I learned about Pete Buttigieg where for him when he came out later because I, I came out in my 30s as well as he did and one of the things that was holding me back was that part of my life you know i used to pray <laughs> to take the gay away and so reading his story that he went through the same thing um and it was kind of just like i say how can i not want to jump in and support you know him and then of course on the issues more importantly um you know he's he just seems like someone i can relate to yeah. and that's you know for me it's very important because i there was a time in my life I never thought this opportunity would ever come that I can support 
someone, you know, who's openly gay, who's married, who'd be able to, you know, be with their spouse, you know, in front of people and having people cheer for them and having, you know, the news coverage, you know, just remarkable. You know, I, you know, when I was a teenager, definitely would never have thought gay marriage would have been, you know, available to me. I wouldn't have thought, you know, that someone would be running for president. Yeah. Openly gay. So for me, it was like an emotional attachment. And, um, and so that, that was very, that was very important for me. Yeah. It it is great to see. Mm -hmm. And he's actually very open about his sexuality and his relationship with Mm -hmm. his husband. I actually was expecting that, you know, it's like mentioned once or twice at the beginning, but then he doesn't really lean into it at all. He leans into it mm-hmm. like on social, like you see posts of him like caressing his husband's back or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just being really close yeah. to one another. And that honestly surprises me, especially in today's America, because you you could potentially turn a lot of Americans off with that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've been very impressed by his openness. Yeah, but so he's a millennial, uh-huh. right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he would have that kind of presence on social media because he's one of us. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, part of his appeal for a lot of those of us, like, in the younger demographic. Right. Yeah. yeah. The other part of it was that with Buttigieg, um, being open about sexuality, but also in the context, because I think for a lot of us in the LGBT community, you know, there's a there's that um very tough relationship when it comes to the community of faith right and and having Buttigieg be able to show that you know you know coming from both communities you know um and then especially in October where I attended Matthew Shepard's um final resting place in at the National Cathedral um and, and hearing you know having a lot of people who were there who were hurt by the faith community in the past you know, so for me, it just all of that is, you know, just meant a lot to me. Yeah. Seeing him even being open in both both those things. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Erwin. Um, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. And thank you so much for your support of Millennial. We really appreciate it. And uh, hey, oh. we'll go hit up the uh, Maryland gay bar sometime. How's that sound <laughs> in Baltimore? <laughs> Laura and I have been to a couple of them. Well, I think we to went DC. to gay bars in DC. I don't think we went into yeah. any in Baltimore. <laughs> oh, well, I, no, I think we have. I think we have way back in the day. Or maybe well, maybe I'm, like, I'm, I'm just outside of DC, so that's easier for me. Okay, hey, sounds <laughs> yeah. good. Whatever. I mean, I'll I'll go to a, a gay bar with you, and I'm sure we'll run into Trump as well. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> okay. All right. Have well, a good thank night, you everyone. Guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your same. support. Take care. Bye. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Speaking of patrons, welcome to our newest patrons, Liza, Mariel, Ben, the Tiny Cats, Haley, Ryland, and Mary. By the way, we will be off next week because of Memorial Day, and because of this, we're going to be recording a supersized After Dark this week, and I think uh, this episode will be, this main show will be long, too, so you have, uh, you'll have plenty to listen to over the next couple of weeks. Before we get to some emails, we have a new sponsor this week who I think will actually really resonate with our listeners. We talk a lot on the show about mental health, and we we all have recommended getting a therapist. But maybe fitting a therapist into your life is difficult for a variety of reasons, be it getting to the therapist or affording them. Our new sponsor is there for you, Talkspace. 
You may have heard of this company before. I know I have. And I was so excited that they wanted to sponsor Millennial because they're a perfect fit for us. Talkspace is therapy for how we live today. It's mobile. It's available when you need it. And it's affordable. Talkspace lets you work with a therapist through an app so you can get therapy from your own couch instead of somebody else's. Simply provide your preferences for therapy and Talkspace will match you with one of 4,000 therapists the very same day. Send your therapist unlimited text, audio, picture, or video messages from anywhere at any time and they'll get back to you the same day. You can even have live sessions with a therapist if you, uh, you know, kind of like FaceTime. The key here is that it's easy and convenient. Plus, one month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session would. And best of all, you'll never have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. You can just hit them up whenever you want. It's like a friend. I started using Talkspace, and I wondered how I lasted so long without it. I no longer have to bother Laura every time I need her to be my therapist. I have someone on call for me 24-7, and it's an amazing feeling. Go to Talkspace.com and make sure to use the code M-I-L-L to get your first week free and show your support for the show at the same time. Again, that's M-I-L-L and Talkspace.com. No, seriously, I've used Talkspace in the past and they're excellent. I use them when I didn't have insurance Mm. and I also really needed to talk to somebody. And it was nice given that I was like on this really crazy school schedule and work schedule that I didn't have like a set time every week that I could see somebody, nor could I afford to see somebody every week. Um, It was nice to just have something in my pocket that I could go to when I needed to get a thought out or if I needed to like get my therapist's take on something. It was really reassuring to know that I had that kind of instant access. That is such a great point. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Talkspace.com and promo code M-I-L-L. So it's time for some emails. Pam, could you read the first one, please? Sure. This one comes from Rose, who says, Howdy, guys. So this is just going to be a short and sweet confessional, mostly just good news. I know you've had some other confessionals touch on this topic before, and I feel like for a lot of millennials, this is a big thing. And I just wanted, I just want people who might be listening to know they are not alone in this. Basically, I got my first kiss last week. I'm 27 years old. I was nervous AF to actually kiss my boyfriend, but I didn't want to get it over with, so to speak. I wanted to enjoy it. I found an amazing guy. Tinder came through in the end. Lol. (laughs) And he was completely fine with having me wait till I felt comfortable enough for the kiss. And it worked out great. I had my times growing up. I thought I was a total freak because I hadn't kissed anyone yet, but I know I wasn't the only one. I feel like it's more common than people let on. So if you're out there and in your 20s and have never kissed anyone, it will happen when it happens. And sometimes you just got to take the leap. This is so sweet. And I love how she asked him to wait for like building up to a big moment. (laughs) I love that he respected her decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cute. Yeah. Also, I'm just really glad that you're like, you have a really happy memory about your first kiss because, yeah, there's like this social stigma about not getting physical until later in life. But I think we could all sit here on the panel and probably recount our first kiss stories, and they weren't that great. No. So I'm just glad for you that your first kiss got to be something that sounds like it was a really great experience for both of you. Yeah, that's a great point. Mine was in a parking garage in Maryland. <laughs> Not very special. 
No, mine was in an attic. Also, <laughs> not very special. <laughs> mine was during a game of truth or dare, so that oh, kind of sucked. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like a forced situation. Yeah. Hmm. It was my first gay kiss. I had kissed a girl in m- middle school, but I had felt nothing, so that never really counted for me. Laura, whose attic was it? I don't remember. Some We were at somebody's house... I don't okay. know. I thought I, it was I, like I, your parents, maybe. No, we don't have an attic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? I don't know. It's Idiot. Just funny. No, it's just it's just funny to me that you're like, who's attic? Like, I would remember. <laughs> I remember I was in a Maryland parking garage. <laughs> I guess I couldn't tell you which one, though. True. Whose parking garage? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, we have another. This this is a confession. This one's uh, pretty serious. They write, I think I may have accidentally given, my, given myself an eating disorder. I have been overweight and unhealthy my whole life, so I decided to get healthy in March. I started working out and limiting the number of calories that I eat. I've lost 15 kilograms, I think that is, since March. Mm-hmm. The problem is that I'm eating less and less food each day and feel so guilty if I eat more than 1,000 calories a day. I know that this is a slippery slope. The worst part, I don't want to stop. I look and feel amazing. Everyone is so proud of me. I'm scared to see a doctor because I know that they will tell me to eat more and I just can't be fat again. I was, you know, at one point when I was losing a lot of weight, I never considered it an eating disorder, but maybe it was. I was striving to eat less than a thousand calories a day too. And I think I've brought this up on the show. I was eating fat-free everything, like fat-free freaking cheese. I was taking all these shortcuts. And like you, confession writer, I was attracted to how well it worked and the compliments I was getting. I was able to stop, though. I I don't know what exactly my turning point was. I guess it was just that I felt like I reached a point where I didn't need to continue it. But in in my opinion, you should see somebody before it gets worse. Yeah, yeah. I um I've struggled off and on with eating disorders since I was fourteen, and I will say that the best piece of advice I wish I had gotten earlier is to see a therapist that specializes in eating disorders and body image issues. If that's something that you're struggling with, usually they deal with both. And also to uh, find a nutritionist that'll work for you. For me, my problem was always uh, like phobia of specific food groups. So things like Weight Watchers with points and stuff like that is that's like really dangerous for me when I'm picking lifestyle changes or if I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to eat, if I want to change up my diet and stuff like that. But I do think that between a combination of those two things, you'll be able to, you know, come to terms with what is triggering you and come up with a healthy and safe way that you can lose weight and keep it off. Because one of the things that people don't realize when they go on these crash diets is that it's really easy to gain the weight back and you're going to feel 10 times worse. And it's a very slippery slope from there. This comes from Rachel. Rachel says, I just finished listening to this week's episode and specifically about the Sonic redesign fiasco. I saw a clever interpretation of this that I wanted to share with you all. What if they planned the redesign all along for marketing purposes? There were leaked images of Sonic before the trailer was released, and I wonder if they might have leaked the quote bad version just to get more attention towards the film. I kind of hope that this is the case because of all the time, money, and effort that would have to go towards it should I be 100% wrong. Just some food for thought. 
Or maybe a conspiracy theory. Just call me Shane Dawson. <laughs> Dawson, excuse me. <laughs> this would be incredible if it were true. I can, I could buy into this one. I mean, Ryan Reynolds leaked Deadpool to get that greenlit, so anything oh, can right. happen. Yeah. Also, I, I mean, this would cost them less money than if it were actually real, you know? Exactly. That's why this would be so genius. And I was thinking about this more while editing that episode when we were talking about Sonic, and I did a side-by-side comparison. The thing we didn't bring up was the eyes. Sonic, the video game character, has huge eyes. And in in this movie, he has, like, human eyes. And I think, other than that, they look exactly alike. Hair, long legs, kind of human-like, teeth. It's just the eyes. So if if they replicate the eyes from the video game, I think it'll he'll look a lot better. Laura, did you end up seeing Detective Pikachu? I did. We saw it over the weekend. It's not a great story, but the Pokemon are cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that matters. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's why I was there. Right. Yeah. This next email is from Bryn. Hey, guys, love the show. Just thought that I would throw out some info about the heartbeat bill that I think we should be telling women in Georgia and Alabama. The heartbeat bills that have been signed in these states do not go into effect go into effect until 2020. Women living in these states should be made aware of this as much as possible. It's so important to get it out there that women in these states still have access to reproductive health care and abortion after six weeks. Please spread this information. Also, everybody should be calling their representatives in their states to ensure that their reps don't take steps in that direction. Over 30 states have pending bills similar to the bills in Alabama and Georgia. Yep, totally right. One of our listeners uh, who was happy about this was Parker. I saw on his Instagram. I was like, Parker, come on, Parker. He's banned from the show. No, he's not. No? Okay. No, at least Parker's consistent. (laughs) You know, I have to say, because I think just from talking to Parker um, about some of the things that we found we had some common ground on, I think unlike a lot of pro-life proponents um parker actually cares about the heartbeats of the children at our border and the heartbeats of refugee children which unfortunately many proponents of like the pro-life movement don't seem to care too much about those kids and he also doesn't like trump so that's right exactly (laughs) yeah we love parker yeah he's great pam you want to take the next one Sure. Kathleen writes, Hi, guys, your podcast is awesome. And I love listening every week. I wanted to write in about my story and ask for some advice as well. I would love to hear your thoughts. I recently started my own business as a sports and a sports analytics consultant after four years as a college head head coach. I decided to get out of college sports because some of the insane amounts of corruption, unethical actions, sexism, homophobia and sexual assault cover ups. Now that I am a small business owner, I find myself taking on clients who exhibit the same behaviors I tried to distance myself from in the institutional setting. At what point do you draw the line? Obviously, I don't enjoy working with these sorts of clients, but everybody has bills to pay. Duh, I'm a millennial with student loans here, lol. I would love to hear y'all's opinions on how to draw the line and what is worth stretching myself for and what isn't. Thanks and keep up the great shows. I wonder if you're going to hit a breaking point, Kathleen, where you just can't deal with this shit anymore and you have to go towards a completely different career. 
Or is there something else in sports that you can do in which you're not interacting with asshole men at all? Because I feel like, you know, from the outside, maybe when you were looking at this career, you were like, oh, cool, working in, working in sports, like that's super awesome. And then you get inside and then you're running into these, you know, this corruption and the sexism and homophobia and everything else. And then it doesn't look all so great. <laughs> it's like how we talk about working in entertainment. It looks cool from the outside, but when you're living it, it's like, eh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I feel like you're going to wear yourself thin over time and want to go somewhere else again. I think you need to establish some boundaries and recognize the scope of what you can control in your position as a small business owner. Um, so you may not necessarily be able to control who you're interacting with all the time, but certainly since you own your business, it's totally within your rights to have like a terms of service that basically says something along the lines of like, want, like once confirmed to have done any of these things, I will no longer work with you. Yeah. Like something like that is in your power to do, but you also can't hold yourself accountable for not knowing something is an official case of corruption until it's determined to be one. So if you're working with somebody sketchy, I think you should definitely pay attention to like your gut feeling about that person and just be aware of what your interactions with them are like. And if anything, like, strange comes up, maybe making notes of those things so that if it turns into something that you felt the need to report, you have evidence to back yourself up. But I really think the best thing you can do is just establish what you can and can't control and then take steps to control the things that you can. Mm -hmm. I wonder if on the front end of your business, you can be like, hey, and I don't deal with any of that bullshit corruption, unethical actions, et cetera, et cetera, just to like let people know that you don't stand for that. And that could be a selling point of your consulting business. We avoid all that shit. So work with us, women, probably. <laughs> uh, last one comes from Alyssa. Alyssa says, hey, everyone, I loved this week's conversation regarding plant-based diets. There is one side of the coin I thought you missed, though. As a vegan, I try really hard to minimize my fake meat consumption. It's usually a treat, or if I go out to eat, I'll order something in the fake meat category. A lot of fake meat, especially the Beyond Burgers that were mentioned in the episode, are expensive, as you guys said. And if you're sensitive to soy, you don't want to rely on fake meats. They make me feel so shitty if I have them more than once a week. Beans are cheap and a good meat replacement. That said, it takes so much more planning because if you're plant-based, you typically can't just run through the drive-thru, except Taco Bell, thank God. (laughs) If you want great vegetarian or vegan recipes, I highly recommend Cookie Plus Kale and The Minimalist Baker. I've never made anything from either of those sites that I didn't love. Love the show, Alyssa. Mm. Thanks for the recommendations. Yeah, for sure. By the way, um, one of our listeners tweeted us. I was honestly confused. Alex, her name is. She said, making arguments for not going... Millennial Show is making arguments for not going vegan that all have answers. Bring a vegan on your show like Alexander. Thanks for bringing veganism, Alexander. I yell at my phone when listening to the host talk about climate change without talking about animal AG. I don't know what AG stands for. I What? 
Yeah, I, w- I was confused. I We weren't making arguments for not going vegan. To be fair, I the person that wrote in last week asked for an opinion, not... Um, and, and I think that a lot of times people view opinion as fact. An opinion is not something that anybody's forcing down your throat. So I don't think it was anybody's uh, intention to say that veganism is bad. Yeah. No, we but were it specifically is a personal choice. Yeah, we were specifically asked if we would go vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We said no. Yeah. Um that said, I mean, nobody as Pam mentioned, like nobody said that veganism was bad. And right. if you if you have also, info you want to share about veganism, please send it in. We will yeah, bring totally. it up. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to say something else, Laura. I was going to reference the climate change point, but we have a story coming in after dark that makes my point so it's fine okay um (laughs) anyway one more thing i will point out is that i do like eating vegan i Mm -hmm. have been to a bunch of vegan restaurants that i love and if i could eat their breakfast lunch and dinner every day i would because they're delicious (laughs) yeah and also i didn't say anything last week because you know it's a long show and when you have more than one host it gets a little cluttered but i cycle out meat so i don't eat meat every day and i know that laura is you know, pescatarian. So I think that a lot of times what happens is that people only hear the one thing that fires them up. And that's understandable because, you know, you're passionate about something. But I think if you listen back, you'll probably hear a few more opinions than you thought you did. Mm. Alex did mention, she said animal AG. I believe she's referring to animal agriculture. Mm. Okay, so time now for a word from our next sponsor, another new one, Cove. They are on a mission to make migraines less of a headache. Anyone who has had a migraine headache knows they are the absolute worst. Now it's a little easier to treat your condition. You can stay on your couch or in your bed while taking care of it. The path to treating your migraine headaches begins with a simple consultation. From the convenience of your own home, a doctor reviews your symptoms and determines what is the best course of treatment for you. Your personalized supply of medication is then delivered directly to your door. And get this, there is no medical insurance necessary. The cost for your doctor consultation and first month of treatment is just $30 with or without medical insurance. Cove is also personalized. This isn't some one-size-fits-all situation. Migraines are personal, therefore each treatment plan is too. After your consultation, your doctor creates and tailors an individual course of treatment meant for you. And then a few weeks after you begin your treatment, Cove will reach out through their secure patient portal to check in on how you're feeling. So they care. And by the way, the doctor you work with will be licensed in your state, and all migraine medication prescribed by Cove's doctors is FDA approved. This isn't some (laughs) underground system. While the three of us don't personally suffer from migraines, we know someone who does, Micah, He's a former host and current host of MuggleCast. He's been using Cove now for some time and has really loved it. He works a 9-to-5 job commuting in and out of the city on a daily basis and doesn't have time to take care of migraines. So he signed up for Cove and has been working with a doctor in New York who's given him the medication he needs to get rid of his migraines. And he told me he loves it. He visited us in Chicago this weekend. He's been really enjoying it. If you suffer from migraine headaches, the last thing you need is to wait to see a doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, you'll get your doctor consultation and first month of treatment for just $30. No medical insurance required. That's huge. 
Visit withcove.com slash M-I-L-L. Again, that's W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash M-I-L-L for a doctor consultation and first month of treatment for just $30. Right, Micah? Yes. All right. (laughs) Time for some news. Right. Diving into the news, I wanted to ask you guys first, did the both of you take the SAT? Yes. Yeah. I'm I guess I'm the weirdo. I never took the SAT. I only took the ACT. Oh, I took both. Overachieving community over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, for anyone outside the US, the SAT is a standard exam taken by high school seniors prior to going to college. Um, So it's one of the scores that can be sent to any of the colleges that you're applying to so that they can help determine your aptitude alongside your application materials. Um, Well, the College Board, which is the nonprofit that administers the SAT, has introduced a new score to identify level of disadvantage of the students taking it. This is called the adversity score. The New York Times does a really good overview of this. And then they also have a really good FAQ of it diving into some of the deeper questions. But generally speaking, the score includes 31 pieces of information meant to measure social disadvantage across two broad categories, the student's neighborhood and the student's school. None of the factors, however, directly reflect on an individual student. All of them are about the census tract in which the student and his or her classmates live. And an interesting thing here is that it does not measure race and ethnicity in Mm. terms of the adversity score, which is something that has had some critics critics scratching their heads a little bit because they're like, how could you not talk about race and ethnicity in a score about levels of adversity? Isn't that Um, the point, though, to not get race involved? Well, I think the point is more that um, in many of our states – There are actually state-level laws that prohibit college admissions from operating on the base of race or sex. So in order for this score to be usable across all 50 states, it needs Ah. to not factor that in. Okay. But that's a good point, Andrew. It's like, it would be easier for them perhaps to say, like, we want to just look at it as a socioeconomic thing. But that's not really what their point is. They're just operating within the confines of the law so that their tool can be used. (laughs) Okay, got it. (laughs) Um, Some of the factors that they'll be looking into are the median family income for the area, percentage of households in poverty, percentage of single parent homes, percentage of adults without high school degrees, percentage of adults with agriculture jobs, and the unemployment and crime rates. Mm Mm-hmm. In terms of weighting it, it's weighting all of these factors equally to produce a score between 1 and 100. A score of 50 is an average level of disadvantage, and anything above 50 means that the student has faced more than average levels of adversity. Worth noting is that the adversity score does not actually impact the student's raw SAT scores, um, so it doesn't like put them on a curve or anything like that or inflate or adjust in any way. Um, It's merely just an extra piece of data for admissions offices to consider. And they're not required to consider it if they don't want to. It's just an extra piece of information that the college board would be sending to those schools. 
So the, so, the thinking is, oh, let's get these scores in front of college admission offices so they can consider, oh, this person has faced a lot of adversity. Let's give them a chance in mm-hmm. our high-profile institution. Right, exactly. And another thing is that the SAT has, for many, many years at this point, faced scrutiny as not being a terribly reliable tool. Um, sort of to measure a student's aptitude, because one, not everyone performs well on standardized tests. And two, the results of a standardized test only tell you how that student was doing on that particular day when they took that particular test. Mm. So it's it's not a holistic snapshot at all. And it seems like they're attempting to add this adversity score to it to kind of make it a more holistic scoring process. But again, it would be up to those college admissions departments to decide if they were going to look at that score at all. Um, It's also worth noting that a number of colleges and universities have even stopped requiring the SAT. Um, It's totally optional at a lot of places now. So (laughs) this could also be a move by the college board because they're seeing people moving away from the SAT. (laughs) (laughs) We're still relevant. Right, exactly. Um, but I wanted to kind of get your your takes on this. Do you think this kind of tool, just sort of in the brief overview that I've given, sounds like it could be an inherently good thing? Or do you feel like you see any cons that come along with it? I don't think that it's as accurate as people are hoping it's going to be in, in like all communities, because that's the whole thing, right? If they're going to push something, it should work everywhere. It shouldn't like there shouldn't be like exceptions to where things can kind of get messed up. I was just thinking about my own high school. It's a public school. It's in a very affluent community. Um, But like my mom was a single parent. Her income is way lower than the average income would show for the city that we were raised in. And like, you know, that's, not going to chart for most people that are like that because all they're going to see is like people making six figures, seven figures a year for this community. Um, and then even taking myself out of the equation, the thing with the high school I went to is that they bus kids in from um, one neighborhood in particular that is uh, historically a mostly black neighborhood. And also the socioeconomic status is a little bit lower So then my question would be, how do you gauge that? Because if they're going to school in a community that is affluent, but they live in a community that's not so affluent, it kind of like messes things up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So their answer to that, and I totally feel you because I think this is kind of a bullshit answer, but their answer is that they're considering levels of disadvantage both in their community and in their actual school. So one of the limitations that the College Board identified from the outset is that this adversity score could um, end up favoring gentrifiers um, over disadvantaged communities because there is such a high percentage of people from wealthier communities gentrifying communities that are struggling a bit more because they're able to get cheaper housing while a neighborhood is like on the upswing. So that child who maybe comes from a $200,000 home is going to register as being from a neighborhood where the median income is like 40k. You know what I mean? So it's like that person's parents are already rich and 
the kid is more likely to get a higher adversity score because they're in a lower income area. But College Board argues that the justification for that is that they're looking at factors from the actual neighborhood and then their school and sort of balancing it out that way. But I still feel like there is opportunity for people to slip through the cracks there, which kind of goes to Pam's point about like, if this is going to work, it needs to work for everyone. Um, but like you were saying, Andrew, there are a lot of pros to this. Like it gives admissions offices more data to work off of. Um, so their students aren't, you know, their students' scores aren't just like an intelligence test or like really rather a memory test. Um, they're actually seeing a bigger like picture of who that person is. Um, so in that regard, it can be good. And the other thing to consider too is right now, the only sort of socioeconomic data that college um, admissions offices get is based off of FAFSA filings. And again, that's really just looking at the family income and it's not considering like their community's trends. So I think it's good in that it captures more context about a student. But I think the fact that there are some opportunities for people to slip through the cracks, like Pam mentioned, and the fact that it can't measure race and ethnicity is a problem. And I think this kind of comes along with like, there being laws against admitting people based on race and ethnicity, because there's this thought that if you're considering somebody's background along with their entire application materials, like you're somehow admitting them because they're Hispanic or because they're Black, when that's really not the case. It just so happens that they bring like a range of background and experiences to the table alongside the qualifications So I don't know, I wanted to share this with y'all and kind of see like how you felt about it. Do you wish that they had had this kind of score when we were younger and taking these tests? Probably wouldn't have done shit for me. So no. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have benefited either. I think that, um, it just like, I don't know. I, and I know that this is like a tired argument, but it's really not indicative of the SATs of what. Uh, you learn or how smart you are or how prepared you are for university. And you can even look at that as like, that's why the ACT is also a, um, like you can also submit those scores. Like Laura said, she didn't check the SATs, you took the ACTs. And coming from an overachieving community, I will say that like, you know, everybody always said, oh, well, like if you do bad on the SATs, that's okay. Because if you do well in the ACTs and the SATs don't matter. It's like, it shouldn't be that way if it was really, a way to measure a student's um, like work ethic or uh, intelligence, then you shouldn't be able to kind of change one out for the other, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So. Just speaking about the SAT generally, I hate the idea that we put so much pressure on kids. I mean, these people are children. They're not adults even. We put so much pressure on them to perform on this timed test that hopefully they only have to take once in their lives and they'll never think about again once they get past being admitted to college. 
Like, and after that, nobody's going to ask you what your SAT scores were. And the crazy thing is, too, um, is that a lot of the information that's on that test, you have to learn outside of what you already have to memorize just to get your GED or your high school diploma. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like so much on there that they ask you like to to learn on top of that because schools are not really equal in their curriculum like they are, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. just I don't know. It's never really made sense to me. God, it's no. made such a big deal. The SATs. I know. By the I book. What score did you get? Yeah. Oh, oh I hate Are you going to take it again? <laughs> yeah. I think that this is a sign that col- the college board knows that uh, the fad of standardized testing is on its way out. Mm. Good. Perhaps Thank slowly. God. I, th- I think it's going to die a very slow death, but I think it is dying. All right. On to some other news. Yeah, let's talk about some entertainment news, a little lighter. (laughs) Uh, So Matt Reeves is the director for WB and DC's next installment of the Batman franchise. And as we know, Ben Affleck has dropped out. He officially confirmed that he was dropping out in January. So uh, the world needs a new caped crusader. And it turns out that it could be down to Robert Pattinson or Nicholas Holt. Uh, so the newest news states that Reeves has narrowed it down to these two actors. Pattinson hasn't necessarily secured the role just yet, but Deadline is reporting that he's got a bit of an edge on the competition and the internet has opinions. <laughs> it's actually been pretty funny to keep up with how people feel about this. I had no idea that Batman meant so much to people, but I guess I should have known better. Um In fact, there's people that are so upset that Robert Pattinson could be the new Batman. There are multiple petitions going around right now urging studios against casting him in the role. So my question for all of you is, why does the internet hate Rob Pattinson so much? Because Twilight was so long ago. It's just that simple, honestly. So here's my... Here's I I had a negative reaction when I saw this news for that exact reason because I have only seen Robert Pattinson in Twilight and I did not see any of these movies that Robert Pattinson was in after after the Twilight series. That said, from what everybody is saying and what I've learned over the past few days is that Robert Patton, Pattinson has actually been a really good actor after the Twilight saga. So that's the thing. I have to say I was not super happy to hear about this casting either. Because I feel like he's having a hard time getting away from the trope of Edward Cullen. But I have to say, I saw him in an independent Australia Australian film called The Rover. Okay. And it was really good. And he was really good in it. I almost didn't recognize him at first. And it was like after the first few minutes where I was like, oh, my God, that's Robert Pattinson. Like I recognized... I think his eyes. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, holy crap, it's Edward Cullen. But he was really good. So I think we might have to give him, cut him a little bit of slack when it comes to his acting abilities. But from a typecasting standpoint, I am a little worried. I'm honestly, like, the thing that shocks me the most about the story is not that he's being considered, but that he's in a place in his life where he feels ready to get back to franchise films. Right. Because there's a reason why he went straight back to indie after Twilight ended. Like that that's like a huge chunk of your life that you basically have to give up 
so that you can be the face of this blockbuster series. So yeah, it's like um, Dan Radcliffe. Yeah, I just every time I picture Robert Pattinson now, I'm picturing him with a stick up his ass because that's how he acted the role of Edward for four or five movies. To be fair, Edward also kind of had a stick up his ass. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, that scene where the fan blew Bella's like scent <laughs> over to him, and he looked like he was shitting his pants. He looked like he was <laughs> constipated. You know, um, I don't, I can't remember if I mentioned this on Millennial, but uh, the tenth anniversary of Twilight. I think the movie just passed a couple, a month or two ago, or oh no, back in November maybe. I think it was. And Pat and I had a ball watching that first Twilight movie. We got drunk and we hate watched it those movies are great to watch <laughs> they are oh, entertaining they are super fun i've definitely done that before with friends and yeah it's great to have for running commentary <laughs> right yeah um the other thing is i personally am not really a dc fan so i don't really care who plays batman i guess this has piqued my interest i would definitely be interested in seeing what robert pattinson does with batman what do you guys think about these, um, the growing trend of fan petitions? Like, I know that they can do some good, especially if you're gunning for a show to get saved, if it was killed before its time. But, um, you know, there's like this onslaught of negative petitions, like the one that was also going around calling for a final season of Game of Thrones do over. So I feel like if fans are asking for like, ooh, we like, we have this person that we would really like to see cast as this character. Or like, oh, we want to save this show that's getting canceled. I'm okay with that because that comes from a place of support for the show. But I hated season eight of Game of Thrones, y'all. I thought it was awful. But I think it takes a special kind of arrogance to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to ask them to redo the whole season. <laughs> right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and do you think it would work? Do these people really believe one of these petitions is going to work? The answer will always be no. So I don't understand why people actually sign these things. McCall, one of our uh, writers on Hypable, she wrote a great article on uh, fan petitions recently because of that because that Game of Thrones one did receive a lot of attention. It's it's just ridiculous to me that these fan petitions exist. And the other problem. I mean, publishers are part of the problem. These websites are writing about these petitions because it's something to write about. It's just this vicious cycle. It's like we spoke about this on After Dark recently. There's all You're always going to find some people on Twitter who hate everything. You can find haters for everything. It just never ends. Um, my last question for you guys might be a moot point because I don't think we have a lot of big Batman fans. So maybe it's better to turn it over to oh. the... Oh, do you, like are Batman. you a Batman fan? Yeah. Do, do you have like... somebody in mind that you'd like to see play Batman? Idris Elba. Uh, that'd be great. He would be so great. And Mark yeah. also said he would like to see John Hamm, who I think would also be a great choice. Mm -hmm. Isn't yeah. Idris Elba your hall pass? Yep. That's a good <laughs> hall pass. <laughs> yeah, actually, a friend of mine saw him in the Vegas airport the other day. He's probably just as beautiful in person. Yeah, no, she she was texting us. She was like, y'all, he smells so good. <laughs> because <laughs> apparently he walked by and he just smelled so good that like everybody could smell it and like oh all of these God. women in the boarding area were like freaking out and he was just like swaggering his way onto the plane with a smile on his face and i'm like Ugh. he just you got know. married too i know he was there with his wife <sighs> who was also equally beautiful it's, it's yeah. kind of like i feel like it should be illegal <laughs> i know it's like yeah we know you're pretty stop 
I'm just kidding. Super happy for them. But uh, yes, to your to your question, Andrew, that is correct. I'll pass. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens with Rob Pattinson. It sounds like it'll end up being him who gets it. So congrats. Okay, so poor Nicholas Holt. He's allegedly in the running and nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I can't see either of them as Batman, but whatever. Yeah. It's because they're really young, too. I mean, Batman, right. I think like the batman the batmen of the past have been a little bit older than them or have looked a little more mature so it's interesting i've also seen dc fans say hey why don't we make it about the bat family this time instead of that same batman story over and over again so maybe it's going to be a very different batman younger batman and we see the family so I didn't have, I, I was scouring the web for a, a news story to talk about, and I just couldn't find one that was speaking to me. But then I found these articles about staying more active during the day. So I wanted that to be my subject this week. I wanted to talk about specifically being more active in just your day-to-day life rather than having to work out, just replacing workouts completely only by being more active. It's a great solution for people who don't want to work out. <laughs> just move more. Like Michelle Obama's campaign, Just Move. This really speaks to me because I have seen this working, just simply moving more. Um, Studies have shown it time and time again, but a personal antidote, when I was in Disney with Pat and my mom and brother about a month ago, I came back after three, four days nonstop walking, but eating like shit. I lost a pound. I was like, wow, I had a blast. I ate whatever I wanted. I ate too much food for sure. And yet I still lost a pound. And it was because it was because I was on my feet for 12, 13, 14 hours a day. So first, I just wanted to ask you to what, ask you to what's your current relationship with staying fit in general? Do you try to do anything? And if so, what? You work out from time to time, don't you, Laura? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm not, I am not as regular with it as I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point, Andrew, I, I've like over the course of the last month, I worked out very consistently, like three times a week. I got it all in, but I still ate like shit for a lot of the time. And when I went to go, like, do my measurements, I was kind of nervous because I was like, oh, God, I've not been super on top of my diet. But as a result of me just doing like really low intensity workouts three times a week, I lost a pound. Nice. Over the course of a month, which is not impressive, not as impressive as three days, but it's much more preferable than saying like, oh, I fell off the wagon for a month and I gained five pounds, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. How about you, Pam? Do you do anything? Um, not as consistently as I should. I, I really, it's something that I'm working on getting back to because there was a time when I would just run every night because I couldn't sleep and now I'm sleeping fine. So I lost my running time. It's hard to, <laughs> Hey, well, that's good, I guess. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I walk my dog every day for sure, but it just like, to me, that doesn't really feel like exercise. And maybe that goes to proving your point that because it, it, it's fun, it doesn't feel like I'm working out. Yeah. I know we had brought up hiking for you a few months ago. I think when we were talking about de-stressing. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, I I do go to a gym to work out most of the time. Sometimes I'll I'll use a uh, Beachbody or OpenFit type of service, but normally I'm going to the gym because working from home, I just have the urge to get out of the house by eleven or twelve o'clock every day. So I'm at the gym uh, five or six days a week. That said, I'm not there for long. I'm there for maybe forty minutes because I just want to do my routine and get out. I'm not doing anything special day to day. On to just the topic of being more active during your day. Do you guys try to be mindful about moving during the day? I mostly try to be mindful about using my standing desk. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely recognize there's no reason for me not to say like, okay, at the beginning of my standing desk session, I'm going to just take a walk around for like 10 minutes or so and then come back to my desk and continue standing. Because... The popular metric is the 10,000 steps per day. It's mm-hmm. Fitbit's default, for example, and Fitbit is huge. I did some research into how we came to decide that 10,000 steps per day was what we should be aiming for. It actually grew out of the marketing campaign for a pedometer invented in 1965 by a Japanese professor of health science who believed walking 10,000 steps daily would help the Japanese people. And... Uh, 10,000 steps a day is a rough equivalent to the Surgeon General's recommendation to accumulate 30 minutes of activity most days of the week. And uh, Fitbit says it should be enough to reduce your risk for disease and help you lead a longer, healthier life. The benefits are many, a lower BMI, a reduced waist size, increased energy, and less risk for type 2 diabetes. So I actually use an Apple Watch. Apple Watch does not put much of an emphasis on steps. They actually emphasize calories. It's it's the big ring that you try to close each day. Um, but Fitbit, and I think this is why it's so popular, it is step-based. And, and I think everybody just looks at the step metric as a very simple way to monitor your activity. And it's also very achievable. When you hear, oh, I got to b- burn 500 calories, you're like, oh, fuck. But if you hear, oh, I got to burn... 10,000 steps, that's different. That's just walking around a little more every day. I know my mom loves that. Yeah, I used to really religiously monitor my steps and I don't anymore. I should, Mm -hmm. again. This is going to be like a big discussion about all the things that I should be doing. Get it Um, together, Laura. But like, even like if at the end of the day I would see like, oh, I'm at 9,000 steps, going and getting 1,000 steps is not difficult at all that's like walking the dog right you know so i would just be like oh let me take her out for an extra walk or whatever and i would usually end up getting more steps that way but yeah it's really it's super attainable and i think that it's an ease it, like it's a good thing to focus on because it's focusing on your like the physical side of things like are you hitting these metrics for yourself mm-hmm. it, as opposed to like did you lose this much weight this week right i um i really like the apple watch and i know laura you you've tried it and you fell out of love with it right wasn't wasn't for me but i'm glad you like it it's just it's just it's gotten a lot better i don't know if you ever got you know wanted to got serious about uh you know just tracking your movement throughout the day again i would definitely suggest taking another look at apple watch i'm too anxious because it monitors your heart rate and i don't like seeing that (laughs) that you know what that would bother me too i think yeah because like literally i would like go to check my heart rate and it became this like because i have anxiety so it became this Mm -hmm. like 
repetitive thing where like every few minutes I'd be like, oh, I wonder what my heart rate is right now. And I would look at it and just from looking at it, it would spike. Yeah. See, I don't even need an app to do that. Sometimes I'm sitting alone in silence or, you know, reading a book and I feel like I can hear my heart going faster. Oh my God. And then I just check my pulse the old fashioned way and I swear to God, I can, I can feel it get faster and it Mm -hmm. scares me. Same. I think to myself, is this it? Is this where I die? Do I just collapse and only my dog will find me for hours? Hours. That's funny you mentioned that because I actually in 2010, 2011, I went through a phase when I would always check my heart rate and because I was having the same feelings. Um, Apple Watch, maybe this would, uh, you two would actually like this. It will alert you when there is an abnormal spike. So you don't have to look. It'll just tell you when that happens. Oh, I don't know if I want that either. <laughs> because what if it's a glitch because another thing was on the first gen apple watches some of the heart rate monitors were defective and giving people really high readings and making them think they were dying mine did glitch out for the first time about three months ago it freaked me the fuck out i was like what because i was just sitting on the couch you know (laughs) it would be really funny to monitor it uh during like big pop culture events like the game of thrones finale yeah that would be pretty funny i shouldn't be doing this right now because now i'm gonna start getting paranoid about my heart rate again i'm slowly increasing right now from 80 i'm already up to 90 (laughs) let's think about something happier yeah (laughs) so so anyway i thought what we could do is play the number i want you two to guess how many calories you'll burn while spending a certain amount of time doing specific everyday activities. So I'm going to take you all through the day. Um, so how many calories do you think you will burn spending 45 minutes in the morning, making bed, preparing breakfast, dressing, showering, etc.? Maybe 150. I think it's less than that. I'll say 70. Yeah, Pam was a lot closer. 53. Damn it. See, this is why I'm not losing weight, y'all. Well, you do jumping jacks in the shower. That's why you thought it was higher. (laughs) You told me that once. It's hard to burn um, 100 (laughs) calories. It is. Yeah. I I watch that calorie burner when I'm on the treadmill if I'm at the gym, and it's like really annoying how hard you're working versus how little you've burned hey go faster go faster (laughs) wake up (laughs) maybe i should walk on an incline for 20 minutes right uh walking briskly from the subway to the office over 10 minutes of time 15 calories 35 pam closer again 38 Damn it. Maybe you got to do okay, more of that, Laura. This is just like my uh, eating disorder stats coming in handy. So don't oh, feel bad. Oh, God. <laughs> Way to turn this dark. Um, swiftly climbing four flights of stairs instead of taking the elevator. This is a good life hack in general, taking the stairs. 40. I'll say 70, 60. I, I should have said the amount of time. I'm sorry. Over two minutes. They say that's only 14 calories. Oh. Oh. Not worth it. Continue with the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) Strolling during work, either pacing while on the phone, conducting walking meetings, or taking walking breaks every hour. So, Laura, this is kind of what you were getting at before. Do they give us a time? Yes, 30 minutes. 25 calories. 75. Laura got that one. It was 79. Um, Light chores. Let's say in the evening, you get home. Clean the kitchen, sweeping, taking out trash, recycling, etc. over a period of 30 minutes. 15 calories. 
50. In the middle, 35. During two hours of TV watching, walk during some commercials or between shows. This is so 15 minutes of movement total over two hours of time, like in commercial breaks. Eight calories. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say I'll say 15. Uh, 40. What? Yeah, so start walk, walking around during How commercial breaks. How is that breaks. better than the stairs? I, I don't know. That is such bullshit. It must be running in place. I think so, too. Well, and speaking of bullshit, this last one. <laughs> Internet reading for 30 what? minutes. How many calories will you burn? <laughs> like with well, my think... thumb scrolling on my phone? I guess so. I hadn't thought or of that. Or just by existing? <laughs> like, I guess we could look up your BMR and calculate how many calories you burn per half hour. No, this I is saying like... calories expended above the average resting rate. So this oh. is on top of that. Okay, I'm going to say five calories. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say joke. Three. And what was your answer, Laura? Three. Yeah, it was ten. What? So get get on the internet, (laughs) y'all. Man, I'm on the internet all day long. Yeah, I was going to say I should be svelte. (laughs) And finally, because this is millennial, I had to look up the sex numbers. Uh, yeah, a study was done in 2013, uh, concluded that men burn how many calories during an average sex session while women burn about how many calories? Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't have the amount of time here. So average sex session, you know, just think of Mark, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say like, well, I don't want to give you the wrong number. Because <laughs> you're like, what does it say about me? Right. <laughs> No, um, I'm going to try to look that up real quick. Um, it's probably between like 8 and 20 minutes. I feel like that's the textbook average. According to Men's Health, uh, based on the average amount of time the couple says, uh, about 25 minutes. I hope that includes foreplay because, uh, ooh, I'm coming in short. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> All right. So for 25 minutes, how many calories are men and women burning? Separate numbers. Oh, it depends on what each person's doing, though. That's, yeah, we're, we need more information. We're, we're talking like, yeah, about the average here. Just average overall. Because I feel like the person on top burns more calories. 100%. I'll <sighs> say 25 and 40. So 25 for men? No, the other way around. 40 okay. for men, 25 for women. Okay, I'll say... 90 for men and 50 for women. Okay. Uh, Laura was closer. Uh, so 100 uh, men burn 100 calories during the average sex session while women burn 69 calories. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> that's, what, that's what it was. Yeah. I, I also think this is assuming that men always do all the work. So I call. Probably. Yeah, exactly. It's probably a little more evened out than that. Mm hmm. So this is a good way to uh, encourage your partner to uh, be on top, I guess. Right. You'll burn more calories, <laughs> that's, babe. That's true. <laughs> no, actually, that's a terrible thing to say to your partner. Please don't say that unless you want somebody to either cry or punch you in the face. <laughs> Pat and I actually... Uh, Jewel, please don't use this as a social media clip. My mom and sister <laughs> listen to these. <laughs> 
X day on the, on this part day. Uh, my, Pat and I both insist on wearing our Apple watches during sex. Like I literally <laughs> challenged him the other day to have sex without wearing it. And he said, no, cause we want to get the calories in. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to uh, measure whose heart rate was higher. We haven't done that yet. We should definitely do that. <laughs> I'll report back. Jewel, I think you should absolutely use that I as think so too. social fodder. <laughs> oh, please, <laughs> God, no. <laughs> like, he'll come out of the shower and he puts on nothing but his Apple Watch. I'm like, okay, I know what it's time for. <laughs> Where does he put it, though? Siri, start a workout. <laughs> Wraps oh around God. his dick. <laughs> he uses... Oh, Siri heard me. <laughs> I forget what I was going to say now. Anyway, there's some info for everybody. Maybe it'll inspire you to uh, move around more. I, I've I've seen it work on on myself, and it inspires me. So maybe it will for other people. Okay, I'm gonna commit to taking a 10 minute walk around my environment when I put my standing desk up. It's a great idea. Yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. Yeah, please do. Burn like 12 fucking calories doing it. <laughs> you know what? Every little bit helps. This is the, the point of this whole lesson. That's true. I think. Yeah. You know, Mark's going to tell you you have to be on top now, right? Because yeah, he I'd listens like, to Laura, this. Laura, you're going to burn 90 calories. What <laughs> makes you think I'm not? <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> All right, then. Well, before we close out with some recommendations, we wanted to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, FabFitFun. If you love discovering new products, FabFitFun is the subscription box for you. It allows people everywhere to discover new products, as well as including rave review must-have brands that you know and love, like Living Proof Snow Frizz Nourishing Styling Cream, Kula Organics SPF 30 Makeup Setting Sunscreen Spray for Pam, of course, and Sutra Professionals mini travel blow dryer in soft touch marble. I just got the 2019 summer box and I am in love with the wish exfoliating foot mask. Andrew, Pam, what did you guys get in your boxes? I loved the beach bag that came in it. It was an incredible bag. I'm really looking forward to using that this summer. Yeah, it's super cute. Um, yeah, this box was a win because it had three of my favorite products in it, and I was really excited. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Living Proof Frizz Cream. That is really awesome and works really well, especially in foggy San Francisco. That's important. And also the Invisibobbles are really great. I use those in my hair every day. So it's nice to have some extras. And Laura hit the nail on the head. The coolest setting spray is right up my alley. So that was, was perfect box. timing because we were just talking about that. I, I know. know it's like they listened. It, it they did one hundred percent heard me <laughs> on my sunscreen rant. <laughs> FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box delivered four times a year with full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99 a box. And I'm serious. It is full-size products. There are no sample sizes of anything. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value. The 2019 Summer Box total retail value ranges from $269.95 to $467.95. This is a fantastic value because many of the product's individual value is more than the entire cost of the box itself. You can customize your box by choosing some products and add-ons with each box, or you can choose to be surprised by each box. 
Sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. Use our code M-I-L-L to get $10 off your first box. Go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code M-I-L-L to get $10 off your first box. That's over a $200 value for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use our code M-I-L-L to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. All right. Time now for recommendations. Mine is a newish Netflix series, Dead to Me. Also a phrase I love to throw at Laura from time to time. You're dead to me. When I won't be your therapist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Literally, you're dead to me. So uh, this is a new series. It's uh, it kind of starts off like a whodunit, but then uh, it surprises you. It's it's pretty entertaining. It's also very bingeable, which is always good. The episodes are only thirty minutes apiece. It's funny. It's serious. It's smart. It's captivating. Did either of you watch this yet on Netflix? No, but I'm very intrigued by it because. What's her name? Linda Cardellini. Cardellini. Yeah, she's in it. And I do like her. So I'll probably be watching it at some point. Also stars Christina Applegate, who's pretty big, and uh, James Marsden. Pam, have you watched this? I feel like you would have. No, I haven't seen it yet. It's kind of funny because my mom is super into the show right now. (laughs) She called me the other day. She was like, have you seen Dead to Me? I was like, no, I have not. (laughs) I started watching The Society, actually, um, and I couldn't really get into it. So maybe I should try this instead. Yeah, you two two should. It's it's lighter than The Society, I think. (laughs) So maybe you'll like it. I recommend axe throwing her uh, my recommendation earlier on in the show. It's so much fun. It's so cathartic. It's a healthy way to express stress. Um, you know, definitely recommend keeping that to the range. Don't take the axes like out in public. I don't think that would end well for you, but um, it's a ton of fun and it's pretty cheap entertainment. So do it. Um, and I wanted to recommend the Lipstick Lobby, which was recommended to me by a friend of mine earlier this week. Uh, they're a company that sells, um, they sell a few different things like totes and t-shirts, but they also sell lipsticks. And it's kind of like buying, well, it is like buying lipstick for a cause. So they have uh, different shades on here and each each shade goes to support uh, a certain uh, cause. So the one that I bought was actually... Um, a pink shade and all of the proceeds go to supporting Planned Parenthood, which is really cool. And it's a really pretty color. I'm really excited to rock it this summer because it's a bright pink. And uh, they also have shades that go towards supporting the ACLU and gun control. And I just thought it was a really cool way to, you know, support a good cause that I believe in and especially important right now, given what's going on in the United States and also get something fun out of it in return. Cool. In After Dark today, we're talking about what? We're going to be talking about a couple of different stories to give you guys a fat-sized After Dark. So the first one we're going to be talking about is the U.S. uh, spraying antibiotics all over its citrus groves. And the fact that the EPA is doing this, even though the CDC and the FDA are being like, please don't do that. So we'll tell you a little bit about why they're doing it and then also what the apprehension is about using um, bactericides on our crops. 
And then what's the other story, Pam? Oh, we're going to be talking about Uber's new features, including the new quiet mode. I haven't heard about this. I'm eager to talk about it. All right. So those will be available at patreon.com slash millennial. You get lots of benefits, including our brand new breaking news segment where we discussed the Game of Thrones series finale as soon as it finished airing on Sunday night. That ended up being a 33-minute light chat about our uh, you know initial reactions to the end. You'll also get early access to each episode by being able to listen live as we record. Thanks to everybody who is tuned in tonight. You'll get a completely unfiltered version of the show, and you can sound off as we chat via our Discord. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is Millennial Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you have any feedback, just head over to millennialshow.com, click on contact at the top, and you can write into us. We also have the confessional on the site as well if you want to uh, share a secret with us. And we do read all these emails, by the way. We just can't get to them all on the show. But thanks to everybody who does write in. We really appreciate hearing from you guys because it's always a one-way street. We're sitting here talking but not getting uh, you know, instant feedback other than what we get from our patrons listening live. So we like hearing from you throughout the week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. See ya. It's a fun song. I love her. I think that she's probably like the best, one of the best pop artists in the game right now, honestly. Mm, Wow. The last album she put out, Emotion, amazing, still holds up. Also, the B-side is great, and the new album is really, really good. The gays really like her, and that honestly turns me off. Why? You know what, though? The gays, like, they got it right with Carly, and they're getting it right with Casey Musgraves. So, yeah. I'm just saying it's it's like me and the gays, honestly. Why does it bother me, Laura? I, it's just it's too much. It's too much love. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody talks like she's Jesus. It's kind of crazy. She's pretty good, though. <laughs> she is. She is. <laughs>